Hey everyone, this is David Kern here. Just wanted to say a quick word from our friends over at Escondido Tutorial Service. Our culture needs more fine minds who have an understanding of the great ideas of Western civilization. The dying art of civil discourse is one that needs much practice and finesse, and your junior and high school students can hone this art through studying with 25-year veteran, Great Books tutor Fritz Heinrichs. His five-year survey of the great books of the Western world includes works by Homer, Plato, Augustine, Calvin, Shakespeare, Dante, Chaucer, Dostoevsky, Kant, Freud, Marx, and C.S. Lewis. Each week, students meet for a two-hour session discussing the reading and learning to dialogue with one another. They're required to write papers several times a semester as well. The opportunity for two free years of classical Greek is offered to students enrolled in great books two and three, while free Shakespeare accompanies year four. Fifth-year students write two 3,600-word papers and present them online, answering questions from Mr. Heinrichs and the assembled fellow students. Those interested can join a four-day gathering each June full of debate, readers' theater, singing, dancing, and fantastic fellowship. Guided by the joyful wisdom of Mr. Heinrichs and the great books, join a conversation full of truth, justice, love, and beauty. To find more how you can join the great conversation, please visit the Escondido Tutorial Service website today at gbt.org. Again, that is gbt.org. Hello, and welcome back to the Mason Jar Podcast. I am Karen Kern, the host of this eight-episode series called Education is a Life, Creating Purposeful Culture in Our Homes. This sixth episode is about the beauty of nature and the importance of getting our kids outside to behold and experience that beauty. My guest today is Emily Hill. Hello, Emily. Hey, Karen. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. And um, it's so it's so fun to talk to you again. Of course, you were on last week with Elsie, and we talked about the importance of music and art. And you were on the initial podcast with Heidi. And today I get to talk just with you about nature notebooking because you are my expert. You know so much about it. And I I have seen um, your beautiful books that you made for your kids and talked to you about it. So I'm really eager to hear about how you get your kids outside enjoying nature, how it expands and um, nourishes their souls. And, and so, yeah, today we're talking about that beauty, uh, the importance of beauty in nature and how it helps to form our children and contributes to the culture in our families. And um, so, first of all, what have you been up to? Have you had your kids outside and, and you know, what are you up to this summer? Well, thank you for your kind words. I do feel like there's no such thing as a nature expert because it is so, the world of nature, it's just, there's so much out there that you'd never reach the end of it, which is why I love it so much. Um, It is finally summer here, which is really glorious. By the end of June, you should hit summer. So we are now experiencing some 80 degree days. So um, we have a little saying in our home. In fact, I'll actually hashtag like my Instagram account with it all the time of outside every day. So rain or shine, we go outside every day. And in the summer months, that just becomes a little bit easier and a little bit longer. Um, so yes, we've been outside every day. We live in the middle of suburbia, but there's a creek near our house. So we head down there a few times a week. And then we're actually leaving this afternoon. We've been furiously packing for a few-day um, backpacking trip. So this will be so, my kids' first experience with wilderness backpacking. My husband and I have gone a couple times. But everyone's got to carry all their own stuff in. Wow. And- 
we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so you are going to drive somewhere and then you're going to get out of your suburban and you are going to put backpacks on yourself and all your kids and you're going to walk. Yeah, we somewhere. are. I think we're all, everyone's got their... And you have that all planned in your pathway you're going to walk and where, you, and where you're going to camp each night? Yep. My husband's in charge of that one. And we're actually taking his Jeep because we had the four-wheel in. So wow. Well, wow. I'll let you, you know how it goes. You are brave. So, so um, there will be like no water, no bathrooms, no showers. Well, we're hiking no. up to a lake and we take our own like water filtration uh -huh. system. Yeah. So you filter your own water into, you know, your Nalgene or something. And the most important part is we are bringing a jet foil and coffee grinder. So oh, not oh, to I fear, bet you are. <laughs> I will have freshly made coffee every morning. <laughs> That's, yes, I know. I know a few things about you and that is like the number one top of the list. Emily likes good coffee made well and coffee, yep. hot. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Well, that sounds so amazing. So will you see other people? Like, is this pretty, pretty much wilderness or will there be other, other hikers? You know, that remains to be seen. Yeah. People in Colorado are a little bit antsy right now to get outside. Yes. So we so may see other done, people. And... Have you done this particular trail before? No. And because the cold lasted for so long here, we may encounter snow still. But oh, wow. I am praying that is not true so because what I don't of, like to be cold. What kind of clothes are you bringing or what, you know, like you have everything on your backs. So is it like Heidi, you have to wear all your clothes? All <laughs> right. I, I could have been a boy scout because I love being prepared and I absolutely love, love packing, which we, we're going to talk about that a little bit, even with nature notebooking, like be prepared. So we have everything compactly packed in these backpacks, but it is very minimalist. And I have to deal with that a little bit. Like I can wear the same pair of clothes for three days. Yeah. I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you can. You always It'll look so marvelous. You'll look beautiful no matter what you're wearing anyways. Out there in the wilderness, you and your family. Well, well I, I can't take pictures of myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear about how that goes. But for today, we, before you go... We're going to talk about Charlotte Mason and what she says about getting outside. So let's start with that. Um, what would you say is Charlotte Mason's most essential teaching on getting our children out in nature and why, why would that be or how do you do that? So kind of the what, why, how. Yeah. In fact, what I mentioned earlier of our outside every day, that's probably a knockoff of Charlotte Mason's very famous quote, never be within doors. I mean, you can rightly be without. And for those of us who live in colder climates, that's a little bit trickier. Um, but as my husband always says, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. So that's part of like this idea of, of being prepared and just, just setting your mind to it. And also the realization, and this is where the shift has really, really come for me in having children and building the culture of this family, is that nature itself does something to us. It's almost a mystical um, experience. And this is not limited to uh, a certain demographic or religious set or whatever it is. I mean, everybody has this understanding of the healing aspect of nature, um, how it grows us somehow, how in our very busy world, it offers a sense of rest to us. Um, what mom hasn't said, you know, get out into the sunshine. Um, 
and that's just been our family experience. And in um, in a world that is very on the go, high pressure, so so busy all the time, even even those of us who don't always want that lifestyle, it's easy to get you know stuck in that with all the things you have to do. There's something about just stepping away from that for a little while that just that, that calms us and quiets us. Um, Charlotte Mason always also said, we are all meant to be naturalist, each in his own degree. And it is inexcusable to live in a world so full of marvels of plant and animal life and to care for none of these things. And that's really influenced me in that word care. Like how do I care for the creation around me, whether it's my own yard or city, state, country, we are we're giving a chance to be stewards of this natural world here. Do you do you think that this is even more of a challenge in our current um, society? With a you, it, people are afraid to just let their children go outside, and b kids think it's boring. They want to be stimulated by something on a screen. So it seems like for so many parents, you have to turn off that stimulation from it that's going on in the house and say, no, you have to go outside. But then because, you know, you just, I mean, people are just afraid to let their kids, you know, go off to the park by yourself, go to the end of the neighborhood, you know, to the creek all by yourself. It just seems like more of a challenge than it used to be. I, to get our what you said outside. there, I would say, is so insightful of learning not to be afraid. In fact, I jotted that down on my notes um, in big letters, especially for moms, just learning not to be afraid of even the created world itself. In fact, in our house, I'm the snake catcher. It's kind of a... And, and part of that started when my son was young and I was like, I am not going to be afraid of things. Um, and just choosing not to be afraid even of plants, animals, insects, letting your kids wander, letting them climb. Um, for a long time when my kids were young, younger than they are, even letting them like, scramble over rocks and boulders and how high they were and recognizing the danger of the natural world. Because it, there, there is an element of danger to it. Sure. Um, there, even as a mom, like my, uh, my mom fears will rise if I'm on a hike with them and they go too far ahead. Like, right. Where are they? Where are they? I don't. In fact, we were on a five-mile hike, and this was several years ago. So my son was probably I don't know ten or eleven, and he asked. There was like a di- diverging trail, and he asked to take the lower one. Um, and I assumed they met up at the end. I was hopeful they met up at the end. And they did, but it just took a long time to meet up. And I got really worried about him. Like, where's my child? And he was fine. And it yeah. so grew his independence and his ability to just kind of maneuver the natural world by me not micromanaging it. Yeah, that's hard to do. But important. But it's small yeah. steps of... Yeah. Um, it, we have a park near our house and when we first moved in here, it's like, oh, I don't know if I should let them go down to the park by themselves. And it's a really safe, lovely neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. can go to the park by themselves. They're great, but it's a 
it really is a conscious choice and a a confession of fear. What am I afraid of? And that was it for me, like pinpointing, what am I afraid of at this? And then in some ways confessing that and um, putting my children in the hands of the, you know, father who loves them more than I do. He will take care of them and it's his natural world. I think he can handle it. (laughs) Yeah. And then, and then talk a little bit about getting them, you know, away from screens because in my experience as a teacher, um, I always had some child in my class who thought everything was boring, you know, um, because they were just used to being stimulated by something on a screen and they had to get over that and, you know, just, just had to do whatever we were going to do. And then they found it was actually interesting, but, you know, I, I, I see that even with, you know, we have our grandchildren over and then they, they, if they, um, if I let them watch something on TV for a little bit, then they kind of get lackadaisical and kind of almost uh, grumpy. But when they're at the pool, of course, their body language is they're smiling and they're laughing and they're engaging Hmm. and it's just so healthy. And so sometimes I think, you know, especially on these hot summer days, it's, it's almost easier to just let them stay inside, but you really have to, you you have to get that blood flowing, you know, and get them out no matter what. And the natural world can be boring when you are first coming into it for a child, I mean, it is much less stimulating compared to a movie or video games or whatever it may be. I have found that all kids are like this. Setting an expectation goes so far as far as they know, they know what's coming. They know what to expect. Um, and this is kind of a funny thing. It's just from experience. I don't know. Maybe it's just my kids or maybe it's all kids. I'm not sure. I kind of have this little tip in the back of my head that as soon as my kids get bored in nature, we're going to stay for an hour longer. <laughs> and it's this funny thing that happens that, I, and I'll tell them that they're like, can we go now? We're ready to go. We're, we're not having fun anymore. And maybe we've, you know, trekked into this Creek and I've set up my chair and I have my book and everything and I'm expecting to stay three or four hours. And after 30 minutes, they're like, we don't want to stay anymore. Let's go home. Um, there's something in that first 30 minutes to an hour that they're, they're just finding themselves. They're just settling in. They have to discover their own play. They have to discover their, their own selves within nature. There's not the stimulation of just consuming. Whereas like a movie and a video game or any kind of screen, even maybe even reading a book at home, you are, you are just the consumer. Yeah. You're not participating with it. And when you get out into the natural world, you, there's a give and take. There's a participation in that. And they have, to, they have to discover that for themselves. They have to find it. And I have found just giving them time to do that. So I'll just tell them, I'll give them the expectation. Oh, we're going to stay in another hour and a half. We're going to stay two more hours. So they know, all right, we're in for the long haul. Yeah. And then they just kind of wander off. And it's this kind of miraculous thing. Two hours later, when I say, all right, guys, it's time to go. They're like, what? We just started playing this really fun game. I think it happens every time. Yeah. Charlotte Mason talks about that, actually. Um, 
and Susan Schaefer Macaulay mentions it in For the Children's Sake, where she says, um, uh, the parent sits down, plunks the baby on the grass. The older children rush off with cries of delight to explore the area. And when the children are tired of that first rush, Charlotte Mason has a good idea. She would have us say, why don't you climb over that hill and look at what's over there and come back and describe to me what you have seen. The children rush off and come back full of descriptions of what they have noticed. Another idea is to verbalize the verbalize views. Oh, how I love the line of the hills. Let's look hard and see if it looks like a picture. We'll close our eyes and try to look from memory. And so she, what she's saying is, yeah, the first, you know, the first rush can be over and then they, you have to kind of help them teach them, train them what to look for, or give them more ideas of what to do, you know, and that, and that, as you say, you have to stay there and make that place their own. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That is a really wonderful quote because kids are, they're they're such, maybe even more than adults. They are, they like the familiar, they like place. And we all know this as we create our you know, like rhythms and habits for our days. Kids love to settle into that. Most kids don't even like that disrupted. My my kids love to go to the same place over and over again because they know what to expect there. And sometimes, you know, it's fun to adventure to new places. Um, but making a place your own is it's actually very healthy and it creates a safe place for kids. And part of this, this is going to tie into nature notebooking a little bit is learning how to name the world around you. Mm -hmm. There's something like magical about naming something. Um, And this, I mean, books have been written on this, just not only in nature, but just um, like how we choose a name for it and how it, it, it creates a safe and steady place within us um, to name things. So even when we're naming our children, you know, how many times have you talked to people and they're like, oh, we still can't decide on a name because we realize how important naming something is. And so having um, having named the place around us as far as I know that tree and I know that plant and I know that animal, um, this just happened to us. We were on a walk the other day and you know, I said, hey, who knows what that kind of tree is? And it was an American linden tree or also mm-hmm. called a basswood tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just watched my eight-year-old, her face lights up. Like, I know that. And making her feel like settled in her place. This is just in my neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, this is my place and I know this. Um, and I think th- that's one of the advantages of researching and notebooking is it gives kids a sense of just a sense of place of knowing who they are and where they are and where do I fit into that? What is my role in my neighborhood, in my city? And they just get so excited about knowing things about knowing whatever wildflowers are out there, et cetera. And, and what a sense of confidence too, that they have to be able to be out in that and to know it and to not for everything, not to be an unknown because that's very unsettling. You yeah, but it, it does take a yeah. lot of work and it's yeah. not, it doesn't come natural. I mean, I'm not a natural naturalist. Um, it, it's something that's, I've had to really work on of, okay, we're going to figure out what trees are in our neighborhood. Okay. So let's, let's start, let's, let's, let's expand that a little bit. So what is your experience? So your kids are your oldest is 14, then they go down to eight, right? So 
you know, at, go back a little bit in time um, in your experience. When did you start getting your kids outside? Were you, did you just know as soon as you had Caden that, you know, he was going to be outside? Or at what point did you have that revelation that this was really important? And then how did you start to implement that? So my husband, Owen, has always been an outdoor person. So I married an outdoorsman. So from the time we had Caden, when he was a baby, we lived in California in the middle of the city, just you know, not too far from Los Angeles, actually. And even then, we'd just throw him in the stroller or put him in the pack and we started walking. That was, you know, Owen would come home from, he was in grad school then. So he'd come home from school and, you know, what do you do in this teeny tiny apartment with a baby and California weather is beautiful. So we just would walk every single evening, walk around the neighborhood, look at trees, flowers, whatever it was Mm -hmm. to see. Um, So it, it started unintentionally. It wasn't purposeful. I wasn't, I didn't have, you know, my homeschool years planned out at that point. He was just a baby and but getting outside seemed better than being stuck in an apartment. Um, and so we just went outside every day. And then another baby came and another and another. And we moved to Colorado, which is very outdoor friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kept doing that. So we just go for walks all the time. I mean, that's what our family loves to do together. Yeah. Just go on long walks. I think it's easier to have conversations on walks mm-hmm. with my kids, with my husband, with friends. Yeah. Um so I think just walking in our neighborhood or meeting up with people and going walking just became unintentionally yeah, and very, you know, not purposefully at all, just a part of our family culture. And then as I um, just fell in love with um, homeschooling and, you know, the classical world in Charlotte Mason, I realized, oh, there's actually like a whole world out there of learning and knowing and finding out. And that's kind of when I started uh, maybe formally nature notebooking when, I don't know, maybe Caden was first or second grade. You could start younger than that, obviously. But that's kind of when it came to my attention that you could add an element of um, like deepening your understanding formally. So was that in relation to also reading, understanding more about Charlotte Mason? Did that all kind of happen at the same time? Yes. And I'm sure this is many of y'all's experience of you read those things and these quotes, even that, you know, you're mentioning caring and it just resonates with you. Mm -hmm. You're like, Oh, this is it. Um, And it makes sense to, of course, we need to get kids outside. Actually, everybody knows that. That's not, it's not like a Charlotte Mason thing. Kids should play outside. Um, but being very purposeful about that, like I will choose for my kids to do that. And I personally, I like to be comfortable. So sometimes it has been a hard choice for me of, all right, we are going to go outside, even though it's cold, we're going to go outside, even though it's windy or this is Mm. not, or I'm tired. Um, but of course, I mean, Outside every day does not always mean I get outside every day. <laughs> sometimes it means my sure. kids get outside. <laughs> sure. Well, and you know, sometimes you have things to do inside. Um, That's so, right. <laughs> so at what? So you said about second for second grade, you started the nature notebooking. So your kids, every time they go outside, though, they're not bringing their nature notebook, right? So, um, but they're outside every day doing something, playing, going to the park. 
Um, and then you also have this other aspect of it, of being part of your homeschool and not that, you know, not that we divide up our life, but, but you're intentional about getting them outside with their nature notebook. So when you usually do your nature notebooking, talk about that a little bit. Do you get in the car and go somewhere? Do you nature notebook in your yard, in your neighborhood? I, I remember when I was visiting this spring, you had all of your seeds growing, right? So, you know, that's all part of it. Yeah, yes, I might not pods. want to talk about my seeds right now. Yeah, well, because most <laughs> of them died, but, we, but they were we very beautiful when I saw few, them sprouting. We tried really hard to grow some seeds, and we salvaged a few. Um, mm. So i I have three, I guess, there are like three methods of nature notebooking that I kind of have in my head. Um, and the first one is that it's go outside, and this would just mm. be environmental or you know atmosphere. And um, these are all three actually very different, but they like collectively create a, a picture of learning in nature. Mm-hmm. So yes, we'll go. In fact, this week we got together with uh, our, our homeschool group and we went to a local, um, when I say park, it's just like, it's almost like a nature preserve. Okay. Um, so we hiked in probably half a mile. Everyone brought their nature notebooks and colored pencils. And um, we practiced together as a group observing the world around us. Um, and this is like the, the hands-on in nature experience of using our senses. What do I see? In fact, I, I did an exercise with them and I set the timer for two minutes and, um, and we probably had, I don't know, 20 kids or something, maybe a little bit more than that. And everyone had to be absolutely quiet, like still as a mouse for two minutes. And then when that was up, I asked them, what did you hear? Like, what did you hear during that time? And it's amazing, especially with a group of 20 kids, how many things you can hear when nobody's talking. Mm. Um, and there was a neat experience for them to like, oh, wow, there's so much sensorily going on if I will just stop and pay attention. And then we did another minute of everyone um, spread out and look at a square foot of land, just like, pay attention. In fact, this is a Charlotte Mason thing of pay attention to a small area, just stare at it, think about it, ask questions. Um, it always be- Everything always begins with a question. Every mm-hmm. lesson begins with a question. Um, you have questions and observations. Uh, and this is, as I've like, kind of learned and maneuvered as a teacher of learning, all right, don't offer information first. They're so full of questions. Um, in fact, Charlotte Mason, here's a quote from her. She says, every walk should offer some naughty problem for the children to think out. Why does that leaf float on the water and this pebble sink and so on? So that out in the woods or the plains or the ocean, that's kind of a hands-on experience of asking those questions about what my senses are telling me. Right. That's kind so- of our first, that's one, that's like our first method of nature notebooking. Okay. Yeah. So like every walk does not need to be a lecture by mom. Oh no. In fact, right? no, because so, they'll, get, so they won't then like they'll just turn their ears off, you know? So it starts with a question. That's good. Or even like, I just yeah. casually quiz my kids as we're walking along. Like I said, you know, to my eight-year-old, do you remember what kind of tree that was? And sometimes, you know, I'll act like I don't remember it. Like, oh, yeah. what was that tree again? And then they, they love it when they know something I don't, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, that's the, that's the quaking aspen. Or oh, do, you, do you remember anything about that tree? 
Um, and they, and I think that just, that just like lights them up to have that bit of like knowledge and place knowing in that. So that's, that's our out in the okay. wild okay. experience. Okay. So that's the first one. You, cause you um, have three, right? Yeah. So, so then the yeah. next one, this is our independent, uh, natured notebooking. And okay. actually this is something my kids all love to do. And it's nature notebooking from a field guide or an encyclopedia. And they will just do this. We probably do this Oh, about once a week, um, especially if you have kids maybe ten and under, mm-hmm. it's a good it's a good time filler too. You know, if you're working with some other kid in school and you need something for them to do, um, I will say, hey, go grab a field guide or an encyclopedia, and you can nature notebook anything you want. And it's fun for them because then they can do exotic animals. So maybe yeah. they can do, you know, a duckbill platypus or a flamingo or something yeah. that they're never ever going to see in the wild. So when you live. say when you say do, you mean draw? Yes. And so then- they draw from, you know, they look at the picture and they're just gonna copy the picture there. Mm-hmm. And then they need to write some sort of fact about okay. it based from the encyclopedia. And then they can come tell me about it. It's yeah. simple. I mean, it only takes yes. 20 minutes, but sure. you know. They figure out a few things about some other animals or plants and other places. And it is a good, it's a good time filler when you need a child to have something to do. Um, And most kids from my own experience, like most kids love animals. So it's, it's kind of a natural love that they have. So, so this is a little bit off topic, but not entirely. Um, So what if, what if you have a child who's a bit of a perfectionist? And they see what they want their picture to look like, and it doesn't look like that. Do they fall to pieces, or you know, do you ever do you ever have to talk somebody down from being frustrated with their nature notebook? Wow, I have one of those. Mm-hmm. So yes, <laughs> um, maybe it's just it's, you know all of all of y'all listening. You probably have wise advice on this one too. I feel like every family has like one perfectionist. Yeah. Um, and just like every other work that they do, there is a constant conversation of the purpose of our work, the worth that we have, why we are doing this, um, and sometimes knowing when to stop. Like, all right, this isn't this isn't being helpful. We're going to stop for today. Um, but constant praise. That's I I have found that just to be so. Like influential in my kids' lives of, I like what you're doing. You are doing a good job. <laughs> you are growing. You are getting better. Um, and honestly, it's not going to look like a professional field guide. Right. But this is your work and your place. And sometimes they'll settle with that and sometimes they don't. And that's yeah. all right. It's a work in progress. Yeah, it <laughs> sure is. <laughs> what has your like? What is your experience with you know working with a perfectionist child? Then, oh well, I have one too, and she's she's the artist, and um, it's so interesting because she she studied art at great length and continues to. But when she was younger, um she would draw something and she would only see the negative in it. And she, right. you know, and still she'll look at a piece of art that we have hanging on our wall. And I just see something that's incredible. And she looks at it and she sees how it could be made better. But I think at this point in her life, she knows that every artist 
is going to look at his piece of work and say, oh, this could have been better. But at some point you, you accept it for what it is. You know, well, and, and, I, I and, remember just on that, just perfectionism in general, I remember reading about you know, the lives of uh, poets. It's, you know, I love poetry. So it's reading of their editing process. And this is something I've shared with my kids and in the classes I've taught, and even in writing how these poets will, you know, edit 30, 40, 50 times a single poem. And so not to have an expectation that my very first draft is publishing quality. Um, But but for Nature Notebooking, communicating, that is not the purpose of... The purpose is, it's like a, a journal... So if you journal every night or, you know, dear diary, no one has an expectation that you're going to publish that someday. This is a recording of your life. So it really is just a recording of the natural world around you, what you see, um, what you hear, what you smell, whatever it is. Um, it really is just very, so, and I think to communicate to your kids, like this is just your journal. Right. And it's for them. It's, it's not something anybody ever has to see. It's, you know. And that takes away some of the pressure from that perfectionist. Yeah, that's true. But on the flip side of that, I will say I have the opposite end of the spectrum too. Oh yeah. um, Which probably most families do. This this actually can present a challenge in nature notebooking. um, If you have the, let's scribble it out real quick. Yeah. And (laughs) get this done and slap the book shut. It is. And, you know, um, especially for boys, you're out in the woods and you're like, I really just want to go play, which they should have time for playing, but their play will actually be enhanced by maybe 30 minutes of, I always say, quiet your heart, mm-hmm. be still, be where you are just for, maybe it's only 20 minutes. Take some time to look around you. Um, one of the things I have done for that, that's been great with boys is to say, Hey, I'm setting my timer for 20 minutes. It's kind of a, you know, a Charlotte Mason thing, like mm-hmm. okay, 20 minute subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm setting my timer for 20 minutes and you actually may not go play for 20 minutes. So you, you need to work on this drawing for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So you can't close your book for 20 minutes. So I would take some time on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I found it's, it's kind of magical because then they're like, well, I mean, I'm not going to be able to go play, so I might as well. And then sometimes they get really into it and they start. Yeah. Then they forget themselves and they enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. So I found, um, you know, obviously there's girls out there like that too, but boys who are itching to go play in the wild and you're trying to have <laughs> this beautiful nature notebooking moment. Um, yeah, it's just some strategies to say, how can we learn to pay attention here? And it actually does, um, as I said, enhance their play later on when they're very aware of their surroundings. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. And um, so you have one is go outside, two independent nature notebooking. And then what would your third, what is the third one? So the third is special studies, which a lot of y'all are probably very familiar with. Um, so that would be a prepared lesson that's taught by a teacher. Okay. So I actually taught a nature notebooking class this past year for our homeschool group. And, and it was so fun that you, you prepare a lesson, you, um, you know, you research the plant and animal, you can make it more scientific. We, our whole, the course of the year follow the different biomes. And so then we did plants and animals within different biomes. Um, 
So I just would come prepared with a lesson for them and I would present it um, maybe a little bit more lecture style with obviously a lot of questions thrown in there. Um, Questions that I was prepared with an answer to as well. Um, And then I had printed up a page for each student of the plant or animal that I wanted them to draw exactly. I want them to draw it to I want yours to try to look as close as possible to the drawing next to you. Mm -hmm. So they had all of it. They had their notebook and their watercolors. And this is a great time for um, like drawing instruction and painting instruction. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of the frustrating things to kids is they like, I can't draw, I can't paint. That's why I don't know how to do it. So the, the classroom instruction or the special studies is a great time um, to kind of practice some of those skills. Now, I personally am not, I'm, I'm actually not very skilled at drawing or watercolors. Um, I always say, I don't know how to do it yet. Maybe I will someday. It is a skill. And that's something really important to keep in mind that drawing and painting is a skill. It's not something that you're just good or bad at. Mm. Anybody can learn to draw and paint. Um, it just like, math or music. Um, it just takes time and concentration. Be very similar to music. You, you learn how to play music. You learn how to draw. So I, just for your kids sake, even, or maybe you teach in a co-op or something this, you, I mean, there's YouTube videos on how to draw. I would actually mm-hmm. just Google, you know, maybe I was doing, you know, a, a raccoon or something. Mm-hmm. I would Google like a tutorial, how to draw a raccoon. And <laughs> watch it and then present it to the kids. Um, and they loved it. At the end of the year, they had um, a completed nature notebook from our special studies. They were, they were stunning. They did an amazing job. They were so beautiful um, because we, we took our time. Um, always require good work. This is not a time to be sloppy. Like do your best job. So anyway, those are like the three ways we nature notebook and have, have just had a lot of fun with it. I think that's, those are, are really helpful. And the lot, you know, and they all kind of allow for science and art and nature to all be integrated together. And, um, and then when you are also involved and you have your own nature notebook. Yes. And there, well. that is so influential to your kids. If, yeah, if they see you doing it as well. And I think we talked about this the last couple times. Um, if you don't love something, your kids won't love it. Right. So if you're not willing to draw, now my kids' nature notebook a lot more than I do, um, especially on like when we're doing special studies and things like that that I'm teaching. So I'm not always sure. doing it with yeah. them. Um, but usually, if we are going outside, um, and my husband has one too, so he he's he's wow. actually a good artist. So he he loves it more than I do. Um, so we'll get outside and draw and I mean sometimes we'll take our watercolors and it's kind of like fun. You you actually feel pretty fancy to be out in nature watercolors. Yeah, you so. would. <laughs> there's so there's a line and for the children's sake that says, um, it is good for the parent to keep a nature notebook too. And then she says this, I love these lines. It says, It is a life we live together. And that is that is so simple. What a simple statement. It's a life we live together and um understated, and yet it speaks volumes 
because it's not just something you're sending your child off to do, but when you're doing it together and parents are doing it, it, it really, it affects the culture in your home. And well, and I as love that her, life together. her famous, her famous lines of education is a, a atmospheric discipline. Right. Life. Yeah. I think I got the order wrong there. Um, that overflows into all of the, you know, quote unquote subjects that we teach. And we, we spoke of that with music and art. So, and nature is very closely tied to it. And, and I would throw um, poetry in there as well. I'd say poetry has a, mm-hmm. a very, very strong tie to nature. In fact, I mean, how many poems do you read that are directly linked to nature? And, um, and there's something about being in nature that kind of wells up this poetic feel within us. Um, it's almost like you want to start writing poetry when you get out into nature. Yeah. Are there any, are there any poems that, um, your family loves in regards to nature? You know, one of the poems that we memorized maybe three or four years ago, um, by Yates is the Lake Isle of Innisfree. And I, I actually want to read it to you. Yeah, please do. It, this poem so influenced our love of the natural world. And even to this day, hardly a you know, nature walk goes by without some child referencing a line to this. So it says, I will arise and go now and go to Innisfree and a small cabin built there of clay and wattles made. Nine bee rows will I have there, a hive for the honeybee and live alone in the bee-loud glade. And I shall have some peace there, for peace comes dropping slow, dropping from the veils of the morning to where the cricket sings. There, midnight's all a glimmer, and noon a purple glow, and evening full of the linnet's wings. I will arise and go now, for always night and day, I hear lake water lapping with low sounds by the shore, while I stand on the roadway or on the pavement's gray. I hear it, in the deep heart's core. I love and that, that. I know, and that poem has so influenced our family that, it, you know, wherever you are, those experiences that you have had in the natural world, they, they stay with you somehow. Like they, they become a part of you and they become a part of your culture, even in referencing like family stories and mm-hmm. um, the line in there, I'm, I'm always, I'm like, and live aloud live alone in the bee loud glaive. Doesn't that sound wonderful? <laughs> yeah. I love, I love the line for peace comes dropping slow. I know. And I doesn't love that. that like, when you think of nature, slow. you think, yeah. oh, that is so like, how did, so there's something about poets. They're able to put, this is just true across the board. They're able to put our longings, our emotions into words. Right. And as you read them, you're like, oh, that's how, that's what I think. Like if I could right. say it, that's how I would say it. Um, that's why I, it, it, I'd say it's so important to tie poetry and nature together. Um, in fact, there's a couple of books that are, we have three or four of them that are, it's like a whole book of just nature poems. Um, Do you two, have those titles in front of you? Yeah. So the two books that I'm thinking of in particular is, one is called Sing a Song of Seasons. And the other is, a nature poem for every day. And those are both there. It's a similar format. It has a poem about nature for every single day of the year. Wow. That's so we use those marvelous. in our morning time uh-huh. and we read our nature poem and, um, 
Sometimes, you know, sometimes we'll even copy work from it if it's mm-hmm. something we particularly love or applies to it. Um, so that's, those are two in particular of pulling poetry in it. But I mean, you all have, you know, poetry anthologies and they're just, they're just full of poetry about yeah. nature. You just kind of have to pick and choose and find them um, and memorize them. And we, you know, then we'll say them as we're going on our, you know, nature hikes and stuff like that. And it's another way of naming something. And it's another way of like, creating a place in the natural yeah. world. So I want to talk about two things here before we um, have to end. And they are um, your particular nature notebooks and your kids getting out in nature with Owen. And so first of all, I saw when I was there last summer, I saw you making beautiful notebooks. Are those, those are what your kids take outside? So we have, um, you know, just or like what the do three, your kids take outside? So there's like oh, the three gosh. methods of nature notebooking. Sure. Yeah. Um, so my kids have a notebook for special studies and mm-hmm. this is a really high quality, um, it's a very specific book. It's an eight by eight book. Um, and you know what I'll do? I'll, I like make a doc and throw some of these things on okay. there with hyperlinks and I can, okay. you know, put them on the mason jar. Um, okay. if anyone's interested at all. So that's there, it stays home. It actually doesn't go out. Um, and that's what they'll do all of their special studies in. So they take that one to school with them to like the co-op we do. Um, so that one stays home. Um, and then they have another one that is, um, I'll put the link out there for that one too. It's, it's a cheaper one. I think it's like six or $7 on Amazon. And I mean, we just go through them. They've mm-hmm. done probably, you know, half a dozen of them. I don't even know where they all are. Okay. Um, and so that's our like more rugged one that we just, we throw in our bags. We take it, um, with us. In fact, I'm going to, <laughs> with all our minimal, like backpacking, pa- packing. I'm like, surely we can take one nature notebook and a thing of colored pencils and we can share it. <laughs> so I'm like, take it with you. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's our take everywhere. And then they have a little bit more it's like freedom and liberty in that one. So if it gets messed up, that's all right. If they don't like a page, they can tear it out yeah. or whatever. There's just like creating room for it just to be, or maybe you get mud on it. That's fine. Sure. Yeah. Um, and we do always like, you know, we always make sure we put the date on it because it's so fun to look back and be like, was that three years ago, really? Um, and, you know, where you are, maybe mm-hmm. sometimes we put the temperature on there. Um, yeah. Um, but I, it has made a big difference of using uh, high quality materials. So mm-hmm. whether it's your watercolors, or your colored pencils. Um, what brand of color pencils do you use? Just so for when we get when ones? we get out in the field, uh-huh. I always use uh, Prismacolor Very Thin. They have a okay. really hard lead. Um, they're just they seem pretty durable. Um, now because they have a hard lead, the color is not as vibrant. But I need them to hold up yeah. when we're out. Um, and then at home, we use the Prismacolor Premier, which if you just keep your eye out on Amazon. Um, they are, they are expensive colored pencils, but if you keep your eye out, they'll hit sales every now and then, and you can get them for actually very inexpensive. Um, 
So just kind of like keep your eye out on there. Okay. And are you, this is a, might be a silly question, but are you pretty uh, protective of those at home? Like, are they only for nature, not booking? Or if they're in a coloring book or they're just messing around, do they get you to know, use them? They can use whatever they want. Yeah. I, I try to just have like an open bin of supplies. And yeah. if they, if they ruin them, they ruin them. That's all right. I'd rather them just be able to have the experience of high quality materials and recognize that like I trust them and that they're worthy of them. I want yeah. them to feel that way. Yeah, that's great. And um, um, and so the ones I saw you making with really pretty, beautiful paper and was that were those nature notebooks? Oh yeah, that was a couple years ago. I actually probably wouldn't recommend it because it was so much work. <laughs> well, I I know <laughs> I saw you made them for your kids and Heidi's kids, and they I, were just what was I thinking? It is a great idea if you just have all the time in the world. No, I decided one year to custom make nature notebooks. Mm. And so I, you know, like downloaded artwork work and put the kids' names on it and laminated the cover and got, you know, special drawing paper and then went and had them all spiral bound. And that was an adventure. And I probably wouldn't do it again, but they were beautiful and I still have them. Mm-hmm. So I still have them. I mean, they, you know, they did their work in them and now they're packed away with all their notebooks yeah. and yeah. they pull them out. So if you are the creative sort, it's really fun to make them actually. And you can make them whatever size you want. And yeah. that is fun. But not doing it this summer for next. No, this, I, I yeah. probably don't have yeah. a bandwidth this year. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's that's all about the seasons of homeschooling, right? And that is so true. Doing, um, and then I want to talk about um, getting your kids outside with their dad, and how is that different from going out with you? And talk a little bit about that trip they took last summer. So this was kind of a funny thing, and I didn't realize how different it would be for children to experience nature with their dad versus their mom. I tend to be much more. Um, educational in that here is our nature notebook and we are going to draw this. And here's, I, I, I turn everything into a class. It's like I'm a natural big teacher. I love teaching. So, um, so last year I went away on a trip by myself and my husband Owen took the kids on a 12 day camping trip from Colorado to Virginia. So they camped across the U S mm-hmm. um, and during that time, they, they each had notebooks. And so they journaled their way across the U.S. And it so was they each had a notebook just for this trip. Yeah, actually, you know what? I think, yeah. it, you know, I'm, I'm actually the Boy Scout in the family. So I'm like, everyone, like, prepared in notebooks. He's like, just grab an old nature notebook and oh, bring it okay. along. Excellent. So they yeah. really just, like, grabbed an grabbed old nature something. notebook they had okay. and had colored pencils and a pencil. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's all you need. <laughs> um, so they... So they took notes every day of what they saw. And the whole idea is when we all got back together, they could share their experience. But it was really fascinating because on the way home from that trip, we also camped. We met up in Virginia, all of us, and then we camped on the way home. Mm -hmm. And Owen made the comment, he's like, camping and being out in the wild with mom is very different because all of a sudden kids are like, mom, I need you. Uh, so there's, there's some sort of experience uh, with getting out into nature with dad that is I, I, maybe more rugged. Um, and it actually creates a, a strength and an independence and um, an observation that in some ways, I, I think maybe you can't have when the mom's along to 
nurture and make sure everybody's okay and has snacks yeah. and sunscreen and things like that. So he's <laughs> like, if they get, I know he's like, if they get sunburned, it's fine. If they're a little hungry, that's fine too. And I was like, what? <laughs> you didn't bring like beef jerky and trail mix everywhere? <laughs> so how, uh, again, how long were they doing this? It was It was like two weeks, right? It was. It was almost two weeks. It was 12 nights and it was crazy. It rained like five or six of the nights and they would just pile in the tent. Um, But my husband is a, he loves the natural world. So he's very good at um, like identifying things and naming things and taking them. um, Just like they saw a a wild river otter and like the blue herons and um, just taking time to just like us be together. And dads are so busy. Um, they're always working and, you know, things like that. So I think for them to take time to just be in the wild, and I use wild loosely, you could go to a park in the middle of town, um, with their children communicates to the kids the, the value and order of the natural world. Like when when the dad gets out there with them too, that it's not just like a school subject. Like it should never be viewed as a school subject. Like it's a, it's a family way of life. And when we say family culture, that can never just mean only what the mom wants. Ah, So a family culture is a, a coming together of the entire family. Now, obviously not every family has this mom, dad, kids. So of course you create a family culture kind of like based on the dynamics of your family, but it is the like collective dynamic. So maybe it's grandparents, maybe it's aunts and uncles, whatever it is. How can you create like an outdoor family? Hmm. That that's really helpful. Um, good. That's a really good question. How can you create an outdoor family? Because you know, you guys are really good at that, having having enjoyed that, oh, and doing that even before you had kids. But I think for a lot of people, they don't really even know where to start. You know, they don't have the equipment, they don't have backpacks. So they have to just have a place to start with just going for a walk. Oh, yeah. That and part. that's, a, I'm yeah. really glad you brought that up because, I mean, we're kind of like a Colorado family. We like to, you know, hike and camp. But um, actually, I was laughing with Heidi White about this because they don't like doing stuff like that. And now she's going to listen to this and be like, what are you saying about me right well, now? Well, <laughs> not only that, but they're, they're out this weekend also, so, but yes, they're in their camper. We, we were laughing because we're both going camping this weekend, <laughs> but they have a really lovely camper. And she's like, what I want for camping is I want to eat steak and drink champagne. And we are, we are bringing dehydrated meals and that's all we're going to eat for the whole weekend. So, but that being said... Like their family has a great love of the natural world and nature notebooks and goes on long yeah. walks and discusses it and names things in the same way. So it really isn't like, oh, an outdoors family is someone who's just, you know, hardcore, right. like hiking and whatever. Maybe you don't like to do that. Maybe you like to go on long walks at the beach. Maybe you like to stroll around your block in your neighborhood. Just do that. And that's yeah. easy. Um, and then... Um, I know we have to wrap up here, but then um, maybe lastly, like the importance of bringing nature indoors and like being okay with that as a mom of letting your kids. Um, I mean, maybe you're bringing <laughs> on my bookshelf right now. I have a fish skeleton and a piece of um, petrified wood that my son found somewhere, and 
acorns and pine cones. And I have a vase of all the sorts of random feathers that my kids found. Um, like be like, let that be part of your decor maybe. Yeah. And recognize that's part of living a life and creation of letting the four walls of your house, um, welcome those things. Um, even like I have a jar of wild lupins sitting on my table because you know mm. one of my girls picked it somewhere and brought it home. Can I put this in a vase? Sure. Yeah. And it's not always like, perfectly clean and orderly, but uh, allowing them to have it, it becomes more of a part of them when they find I have like weird pieces of animal bone sitting on my bookshelf. I don't even know what kind of animal it is, but I don't know. Some kid found and they're like oh, I found a piece of deer bone or something. I'm like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to let that come in my house. <laughs> well, yeah, your decor can't be so important to you that you can't let something that that's like that be part of it. You know, it can't be, yeah. oh, and that would And I have a yeah. friend and maybe some of y'all do this. Um, I want to do it. I just haven't done it yet. I have a friend who has this really beautiful like curio cabinet, like antique curio cabinet. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just full of all of the natural things that they have found. And it's so cool. They have like a turtle shell and like a mm -hmm. coyote skull and like starfish. Um, and then a lot of small things as well that they've just, you know, they found in the wild and they live on the East coast. So they found all sorts of cool things in the seashore and things yeah. like that. And they just bring it all home and and that would be really fun to nature notebook from. Yeah. All the yeah, things that's that you true. find and bring home. And yeah, so just letting like inside, outside of your atmosphere, inside, outside of your own heart. Yes. Um, allowing there to be, um, I, th I really, it is part of the mending of the earth to bring together our own like human lives and the place that God has put us in. He said, go, you know, like go have dominion over the earth. I've given you all things. What does that, what does that look like for us to know it? That's, that's a really great question. Important for families to, to sort out for themselves. So um, as, as far as resources go, you said you'd put some on the, on the Mason jar Facebook page. Um, did you want to mention any others besides those two books of poems? Do you want to do you have any? That you, um, you know, I will just, I have a long list of all like, nature drawing books and how to draw, learning to draw. Um, I just, I just put it all together and put it on our school Facebook page. So I'll just copy it over from there and put it on the Mason jar. Then if anyone has any interest in that and I'll, I'll okay. put on some of the supplies we use. Um, and on, and I, I think you even mentioned someone this week was asking. Yeah, the, there, was, there was a question on the on the. So I, I'm guessing a lot of not booking. Yeah, a lot of you experienced moms. You know, if you have ideas, it's so helpful, especially for books that work or field guides from your area. We have some Colorado field guides that are great, but I mean, find field guides from your state really yes, important. Yes. So maybe everybody could do that, you know, put all yeah. your resources on there. That'd be so helpful if it was on like one thread um, yeah. that people could, could go back to if they're, or even reference to in the future. Okay. Great idea. Do you have any, anything that we missed? Any closing thoughts um, that you want to end with? Um, you know, 
know, I, my only closing thought would be a, another poem that I would love to read if it's yes. all right. Mm-hmm. Um, I just read this poem this week and having woken up at you know, like three o'clock in the morning, a couple days this week, um, I'm sure many of you moms have those experiences too. <laughs> you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you're like, what am I doing with my life and my kid's life? Yeah. And then I um, was thinking about, you know, talking about nature and going backpacking. And then I just led this nature group this week. Um, So I read this poem um, and I just, you know, I just want to share it with you. It's by Wendell Berry. It's the piece of wild things. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me for the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. And it reminds me of that that verse that says, "Consider the lilies of the field. You know they don't they don't toil or spin, and yet our our heavenly Father cares for them. And if He cares for them that much, how much more will He care for us, His children, and mm-hmm. even His care for us in giving us this this really incredible world and place that we live in, and His his offering to us in go and find it out. Like stand in wonder and awe of the great inexhaustible uh, mountains and valleys and rivers and blue skies and towering trees that surround us um, Mm. and live in the grace of that. The grace of the world, right? I love that line, the grace of the world. Well, I want to thank you, Emily, for um, being with me today and giving up this time and all of your inspiring and helpful um, information and experience. And um, I think it will be really helpful to moms out there who who are doing this and struggling with it or who haven't done much nature study and being outside with their kids and they want to and they want to be inspired. So thank you so very, very much. Oh, thank you. And like I said, if anybody has, you know, put it on the Facebook group because there's a lot of moms out there doing this who probably have really great ideas of things that you guys do. So share it. Yeah. So have a really fun, safe, fabulous time backpacking. All right. Thanks, Karen. Can't wait to hear about it. Bye, Emily. Bye. Bye.